Avalara proudly sponsors this podcast series about accountants by accountants and featuring some of the best thought leaders in the industry. Thank you to our sponsor, Avalara. Avalara's award-winning tax automation solutions help accounting practitioners and businesses of all sizes simplify sales tax compliance with real-time rates, automated returns filing, and more. Learn more at avalara.com. Hey everyone, this is Laura Lynn and you're listening to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. More accountants than ever are experimenting and shaping our profession in new and interesting ways. On this show, I sit down with these rock stars to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, the struggles, and the strategies that they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Accountants can earn free CPE credit from listening to this podcast. Just download the Earmark CPE app in the App Store or visit earmarkcpe.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Laurelyn, and I am the host of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Accounting Podcast. Today, our special guest is Randy Johnston of K2 Enterprises and Network Management Group, Inc. He is a self-described, and I'm not using, this is his words, not mine, mutt, in that he's not a CPA by trade, but he works in the industry and has dabbled in a lot of different things in terms of education and whatnot. So he's a very well-rounded an interesting, honestly, individual, and he has consistently been voted one of the most influential people in a, in accounting, as well as a thought leader in the industry. And I snuck over to his LinkedIn page to do a little stalking, and he said his company, K2 Enterprises, helps accountants use technology better so they can achieve their goals. Randy, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, Warren, I'm pleased to be along. And if I'd have known you were going to use the on-air mutt, I would have given you my more attractive <laughs> Renaissance man description. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. It's good. Okay, so I saw that you started K2 Enterprises in 1987. Yes, and actually, there were a few predecessor founders before me. Uh-huh. But what happened was the team said, we really need networking, as in local area networking and internet uh, expertise. So they reached out and said, look, uh, we know you've been teaching a lot of networking, and I had by that time for almost a decade. Wow. Uh, and Because it predated all of Novell Network and many of the other things that were out there. It was Corvus Omnets and all that. And I said, yeah, I'd be willing to teach CPAs how to do networking and why and what it does for them. So um, we really wound up with specialties in anything that's technology and how it's used in accounting. So mm-hmm. that early days was obviously spreadsheets. So even the development of Lotus 1, 2, 3 and many of the features that are inside Excel today, mm-hmm. uh, we actually designed those. But the use of uh, you know, or Microsoft Windows and, you know, the graphical environment is always evolved. So through the years, we've been fortunate to be around some really smart developers of hardware and software products. And we get to provide feedback and say, you know, this is how it would work in the practice of accounting. And I'll just pick on the Excel accounting format because I remember sitting in the room in Redmond with a programming team, 11 programmers and their manager, Dorothy Liu, and... Uh, you know, they were getting advice on how to make Excel work better for accountants so they might win some business from Lotus 1, 2, 3. And I suggested, well, the accounting format would probably be important. 
and uh, why the dollar sign should line up and all those things. And the programmers were saying, well, why would anybody want that? But Dorothy Liu was a very smart manager. She said, you know, we're paying these guys a lot of money to tell us what to do. Think we should do that? So. That is fascinating. That is really fascinating. Okay, so then you're consulting like on the tech side, like the actual people building the products. At the same time, are you also consulting on the end user side? So the actual accountants, like are you showing them, hey, we have this new technology, this is how you use it? Very, very consistency, Laurelaine. In fact, even today, I think I've had five calls with CPA firms on things like portals, as an example, and uh, oddly enough, also marketing strategies, you know, so CRM platforms. It's been a, a fun day when it comes to that. But I traditionally have tried to make on-site visits into firms at the rate of about 50 a year. And I've wow. been doing that for about 30 years. Wow. Rule of thumb is, uh, I think I've worked in 86 of the top 100 firms, but I also have a sole practitioner out of Pennsylvania. I just love working with the guy because he always asks innovative questions and I'm trying to figure out, okay, as a sole practitioner, he's got a lot of different problems. How do we solve those problems? So it's a, it's a wonderful world to be in because I can listen to the real world problems from very small sole practitioners through small, mid-sized firms, large firms, on up to the big firms. And then I can turn right around to a technology provider and say, you know, people are looking for this type of thing. And I'd, you'd be amazed how many times I've sat in meetings at Walters Kluwer or Thompson Reuters or into it, and they've said, how do you know that? And it's like, well, I go talk to your customers. They tell me what they want, you know? <laughs> So all I have to do is just listen to what we said and, you know, uh, just mill 20 seconds later, act like I uh, have known it all along. So as a good friend and associate, Dr. Bob Spencer used to say, I just have to be 20 seconds in front of my clients. Yes, yes. Okay, so then back, I'm like, I'm just really interested in the 90s because I was a child. So it's like, the, you know, I didn't step on into the scene in accounting until 2012. So a lot of what we have now is all I'm used to. So it's the norm for me. So I'm really curious as to like, you know, in the 90s, even early 2000s, what was the pushback you were getting with the type of technology you were trying to implement with them? Because I mean, now it's like cloud-based, but in the 90s, what was it? Were accountants like, we don't want to use Excel? Or what were people pushing back against? Well, there were so many things. And I will tell you, for a given year, I can almost tell you what the pushback of the year was because... You know, in, in effect, I've been pushing Jello up a hill or a rope uphill, up, depending on what your phrase is that you like to use, because people don't want to go and you're trying to say, well, look, I think this is in your best interest. And, you know, Laura Lynn, what I had adopted as a phrase was, you know, I want to do what's in the best interest of your client mm-hmm. and the best interest of your team and then what drops the most bottom line dollars to the partner. And, you know, I'm going to have a new phrase uh, going forward, and it's going to be what's in the best interest of your team and their skill sets that you can deliver client services to bottom line dollars. But, you know, if we go back into the 70s or 80s in accounting, using those things, those mini computer things, why would I want to do that when I've got this green bar, green paper, you know, 13 <laughs> color I could write on and I, I could run my calculator so quickly. And, you know, by the way, I just bought this calculator like three years ago and it cost me a few hundred dollars. I, I, 
I can't dispose of that asset. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really funny to watch people make the conversion from calculators to computers. But many computers were a, a pretty big deal. Um, the, firm, the firm that still prepares my taxes for me has been a long-term client of mine and me a client of them. You know, they had a System 32 IBM mini computer in those days, and they spent a lot of money on it. It was, you know, at least I would call it a lot of money in the days because it was several hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and, and that was their one computer, and they wanted to get everybody to use it. Well, it took some programming, and, you know, again, it, it was a little complicated. But, you know, um, I think we could have a gorgeous discussion about the various technologies that have evolved in the accounting profession over time. Mm -hmm. Because we had a tax discussion about using service bureaus or an audit discussion about hauling around, you know, big cases compared to our work papers today. Or as much as everybody thinks client accounting services was new, you know, firms were doing write-up very, very early on mm. on big mini computers where people would bring the books and instead of using tabulating machines, they would run them through on these computers, which was way faster and way more effective. And they were providing guidance, call it advisory services, if you want to use today's terms, but they would look at the financials and provide the clients guidance on the results of their financials. That was a little after the fact, but the fact of the matter is that those services morphed when we started getting the personal computers, the entry-level softwares, the, you know, the QuickBooks and the Zeros and the Zohos, those types of things, because now people became a little more self-service. But the fact of the matter is, putting in the transactions and understanding the transactions are two different things. And so many business owners, you know, they are, they're still managing in the old way in their mind. Uh, I've got cash in the bank, everything must be good. Oh, I've got inventory and I'm not out. Or, you know, nothing about turns or any of that thinking about what it means. Oh, yeah, I guess I didn't save enough money for taxes. Uh, you know, oh, I guess I'll have to get a loan to, you know. So understanding the business was something that was very commonly done. And the profession was very relational at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And still relational in my mind, but it's gotten a little more transactional than I would like it to be. Interesting. Okay. So when you say transactional, you mean, would, would, would this be a good way to phrase it? Like the service we are delivering is delivering is more productized. And so it's like or, low touch. Or commoditized. Commoditized. You know, productized is part of it, but commoditized is part of it too, because mm. you, know, you can do value-add billing. And, you know, we've been around value-add billing for 30 or 40 years at this point. But the bottom line is, here, lots of competitors can offer what you're offering, and you don't have a value proposition that is greater. Well, the value of that drops. You know, an old phrase that I've used in firms for years is the value of a service diminishes after the service is delivered. So what happens is if you start out and you've got a product or a final work product and you deliver it, the longer the client has it, the less value it has. That's why I like to send their billing right with the uh, deliverable because mm -hmm. the maximum value time is at the point of delivery. Oh, okay. I'm And I'm over here. I always, I bill before I do work. <laughs> is that, can I do that? Is that okay? 
Well, you know, me too, because, you know, I tend to uh, recommend for people that are running cash practices, by the way, to have the bills or do the ACH withdrawal on no later than the 25th of the month before the services are performed. So mm-hmm. everything is always paid in advance, therefore you have no collection. So, yeah, billing in advance, I'm cool with that too. Okay, okay. Just note that there's this shift that had to happen because many of the firms, the billing was so hard in the past, yeah. they were doing real well to get bills out once a quarter. Oh. And, you know, of course, it was a timekeeping uh, realm. So, you know, that's where all the timesheets and all those other things came from because you had to get all the time in so you could deliver a bill and potentially contemplate marking it up more in that part. Oh, wow. There's some reasons people behave the way they do today, uh, you know, if they've been around the profession for a while. Not to mention, in my mind, the big tipping point of independence in, you know, the late 90s. Yeah. When it was no longer felony to accept commissions. Oh, wait, what? Back up a, back up a step. It used to be a, a felony to accept commissions, and we're speaking audit, right? Or No, we're talking across the profession. What? Yeah, so like uh, brokerage fees, if you want to think of that for the people who are in wealth management yeah. and so forth. That was a felony, and you could lose your license and go to jail. So you can understand why people would be a little reticent to take finders' fees or commissions even today, because if they were trained in the 90s, they were trained that that was a felony. You can't do that. (laughs) Well, you know, if you think about it, that was only 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. So it, it it did shift, and it shifted more in some states than others. But if you take, you know, a service, let's just say it's uh, charge cards, for example, and, you know, you're getting a cut off of the, the charge cards that go through your firm, that was a felony before. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, well, a lot of people consider that a revenue source, and, yeah. you know, some people can see why they... Some CP professionals don't consider it a revenue source. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Avalara helps businesses of all sizes get indirect tax compliance right. Their sales tax solutions help you manage sales and use tax complexities while lessening risk for your business and clients. Whether you're a small business or a global enterprise, Avalara can help you deliver tax compliance services confidently and efficiently. Over 30,000 organizations across the globe use Avalara's cloud-based compliance solutions to solve transaction tax compliance needs, including sales and use, VAT, and other direct and indirect taxes. So would you agree or disagree with this statement? This is my statement. This is my quote, everyone. I wrote this like 30 minutes ago. (laughs) So accountants are more focused on using technology for their internal business efficiency with a secondary focus on client experience. What are your thoughts on that? Well, hands down, it is all about the internal operations today. Mm. Now, um, I really want people to focus on client experience. But as we go forward, I'm actually going to be more adamant about firm or team experience because it is so hard to get people, retain people 
we can't afford to have people go away to another firm that provides a better experience. Mm-hmm. Now, tools that allow us to have better experience, they're still evolving. There is yeah. no silver bullet here that's, boy, this is perfect. But I can tell you in the last two years of fairly extensive paid consulting into CPA firms, I've been asked to help select portals you know, for many times. In yes. fact, you know, today I'm tracking 22 different portal products. I know there's a <gasps> few more, but I, I track these portals and I score their features on a scale of one to five, like you might see in a review. And I pretty much know on the 22 products that are out there where I think they fall in their core features. And we can have softwares like ease of use or hard things like data encrypted or, uh, you know, functional things like payments can be accepted through the portal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of those type of features in there, but the, the bottom line is I don't want to change client facing technology mm. very often. Yes. I want to make a decision and stay the course for a while. And, you know, I know with technology, people say, well, you got to just change your technology and so forth. No, you really don't. What you want to do is you want to move to a position, optimize that position, be contemplative about moving to your next position and go there and optimize that. And I, it, it will help because your clients will go with you. They know when you make a move, you're making it in their best interest and hopefully yours, and that you're making ease of use a big deal because see, today's clients expect way more than they would have five years ago or 10 years ago. And the expectations might be unreasonably high at this point, but clearly, ease of use, availability of, of your, you know, your professionals and so forth, those are all big ticket items, as I would see it to a lot of the clients. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Do you feel then like, I, so I entered, like, I, I think I went to my first, I'm actually at QuickBooks Connect right now. I'm in Vegas in my hotel room recording this. So this is so... This is my fourth QBC. So the first one I went to was in 2017. And ever since then, so it's been five years now, I feel like I keep hearing the same platitude around, like with all this extra time you save due to XYZ technology, you can now provide these higher valuable services to clients. But like, is that, are you seeing that actually happen or is, is like, okay, we have this great great new technology and we can serve you better, but then the client struggles so much with the technology, any value add you would have provided is negated by them struggling to use it. What are your thoughts about that? An interesting uh, line of reasoning there because, you know, I actually helped Intuit come up with the idea for creating QuickBooks Connect and was at all of the first ones, right? Thank you, Randy. I love QuickBooks Connect. (laughs) Understood. But, uh, you know, you have to understand marketing and practicality in my mind. Mm-hmm. And what is the reality? Because, you know, you can optimize things. You can make them efficient. But just because they're efficient doesn't mean you're going to get more time out of it. Now, mm-hmm. the idea here is we want to use, we, we want to minimize wasted time. But there are certain things that you're going to do with clients that just take some time. So you can't transactionalize them. Now, what Intuit's trying to 
message is they're trying to get you to do advisory type services. And in fact, in their world, they mainly want you to use client accounting services. They're mainly after cash. But what clients really want are the advisory services, I believe. Now, if you think about this, um, I believe that CAS is backwards looking, whereas advisory is forwards looking. And if you think about it, when you're doing advisory, it's forward looking and it's proactive, whereas consulting is reactive. You're responding to clients and compliance is backwards looking. So if you start using these forward looking, backward looking type of analogies, You've got to be able to do things that are forward-looking that help the client with profitability and growth, things that interest them. But the question you have to ask is, what do your client want? And what a client wants may not be more clients, more customers, and faster growth and so forth. They may want a lifestyle business. They may want, you know, and you have to listen to what they're trying to get done and say, all right, let me do what I can to help you achieve your goal. Because in fact, my goal that counts, it's your goal. So when you hear this, you've got more time available. You know, that's, uh, phrases like work smarter, not harder, Laurelin are coming to mind. I want you to do the right things and not just have the time to do more things. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, so I, a while back, interviewed Jeannie Whitehouse on this. We went really deep into kind of that communication piece between you know, accountants and their clients. And I felt like I had to, this past summer, what I really focused on was stepping back and reevaluating like, okay, so I tell a client, oh, I offer these services, but that doesn't always translate to the client understanding what I'm actually saying. <laughs> like, they're like, okay, cool. A cash flow analysis, they're forecasting. They're like, what does, I don't know what that means. And so I, you know, I read books like Profit First. I'm like, this resonates with people. Why does this resonate so much with business owners? And I've tried to start restructuring my vocabulary, you know, so it's like, I'm saying the same thing, but I'm actually saying it in a way they understand the service I'm going to offer them. <laughs> yeah, and so that makes beautiful sense because, uh, you know, when Jeannie left her firm and joined uh, Navision in Atlanta, I, I was around Jeannie from the 80s. So oh. I've known her a long, long time. And as she's transitioned out into her, you know, wine practice, she really took the advisory bent and provided the client accounting services. Mm -hmm. And Mike, as Profit First book, you know, came up with that concept of, you know, there are multiple different business accounts and, you know, allocating your... Uh, profit into an account and allocating your tax into account and so forth. And see, that simple approach actually is, well, very similar to the way I see some businesses running around me here in Kansas. Now, I don't want our listeners here to think we're backwards, <laughs> but, you know, it happens to be that I live near an Amish community called Yoder. Oh. And I know a lot of Amish people, and, you know, remember the Amish don't have electricity and they don't believe in, you know, mechanization. I mean, they're using horses and buggies. Mm -hmm. And I see anytime I go to the airport and so forth. But when I'm invited into their homes and they're running their businesses and they're quite successful at running their businesses, they're running cash basis business in most cases. So they have a box where they keep their money. And if they need to get some stuff, they give them their box and they take their cash and they go buy their stuff. Let's say lumber or CD or whatever. And, you know, you might think that that seems so backwards. 
but they have this cash basis accounting mentality in the form of their box. Mm. And you know, many business owners have a mentality about their service they're trying to provide, the lifestyle that they're trying to lead, and all they want to do is they don't want to kill themselves working more hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to save some of our time, and that's the, that's the value. Uh, I believe for their years, uh, a desire by many business owners to not have to work quite so hard. I think many, many business owners are working way harder than they should be, need to be, but they're feeling motivated to do it because when you're a business owner kind of by yourself, you don't have anybody as a sounding board. So you kind of start wrapping your head around this and you kind of get yourself worked up. And that's where CPA professionals or advisors can step in and say, you know, you may feel bad about this, you may feel good about that, but you, you're better than the people. You're better than many people in this area. But here's some, a few things you might be able to do easier, better, faster. Here's some things you're doing today that maybe you should just stop doing. And, you know, let me show you how that can work. And that's the advantage of the accounting professional advisor is we get to see lots of different clients. And that's where I've had a nice advantage through the years of our land mm-hmm. of being practical advisor because I've seen a lot of technology and I'm pretty practical. I tell people I'm from Kansas. I keep it simple, KS. And so, you know, I'll walk in and say, you know, here's what people need. Here's what I would like you to build. And here's the best way I know to build it. Mm-hmm. Did you know that 52% of accounting practitioners, large and small, still rely on spreadsheets and manual processes for sales tax compliance? Why not move your accounting practice to the 21st century using Avalara for Accountants? The Avalara for Accountants automation platform helps accounting service providers of any size grow their service offerings with sales tax prep and filing, transfer pricing, research, business license management, and more. Scale your practice efficiently with award-winning automation that brings efficiency and accuracy to sales tax compliance. Want to learn more? Email accountants at avalara.com or visit avalara.com. Okay, so then I I feel like there's this Venn, Venn diagram, if you will, and we have three different circles when it comes to, you know, implementing or choosing new technology in our businesses as we have like the owner level circle and we have you know and the owner levels comprised of like money i think of money like what's the bottom line how's this going to affect me profit wise time wise we have the staff circle and then we have the client circle and then somewhere in that middle those all intersect to our solutions and you said so how would you how would you weight those in importance like how important is it that we make more money from this technology versus makes the staff's life easier versus make the client's life easier. Like, how do, you, how do you pick and choose who to put first in that situation? Well, uh, I'm, I'm a little odd on this one, so take my advice with grain of salt. But the bottom line is for business owners, they're really the decision makers. And if you're doing advisory right, you have to be able to do personal planning with them and company planning with them. And there are many business owners that frankly don't treat their team members, their employees very well. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to coach 
business owners through, you know, you really need to treat people better. Now, I don't mind disclosing to our listeners on this, that my strategy has always been to pay my people 20% above market. That's awesome. Compensation isn't so much of an issue. And I've also historically done things like full health care and full dental, including orthodontics. Wow. Well, you know, why? Well, because I had a family too. And wouldn't I have wanted that for all my kids? And yeah, did a lot of my kids need orthodontic work? Well, I bet you some of my employees do too. Mm -hmm. So what I'm really trying to do is take care of the people that I can help. And by the way, what other people can I help? Well, with the right service offering, it's the clients. And so, you know, this philosophy where I've always had what's in the best interest of the client, then in the best interest of the team, and then what drops the bottom line dollars. Mm -hmm. From business owners, what drops bottom line dollars is such a high motivator. Sometimes they don't think about the team and they don't think about the client in as much depth as they should. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we can flip that around, and again, I'm going to flip it around, I think for the current climate, that we really have to take care of our team members because it's the team members that enable the services that we can deliver. And we have to think about what services they can deliver that benefits the clients the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I feel that that, that responsibility then to like, well, I mean, it all comes back to the owner, but I think also the messaging from the owner to the client to support the team. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so here <laughs> there was, I tried to find the Twitter tech stream from a while back, but David Leary of the Cloud Accounting Podcast did a tweet saying, what's the value of this service you're providing? And he was specifically referring to tax preparation. When I have to go on, fill out this online questionnaire, scan in all my own documents, like I'm doing all the work. Like, why why am I paying you to do the work when it feels like I'm doing all of it? And that kind of dynamic creates tension between the client and the team. Would you would you agree with that? It does. The expect that's an example though of the expectation becoming greater from the client. Mm-hmm. In other words, I would prefer to do less. So what you actually have to do is kind of flip that upside down in my mind. Because if you've got a compliance mentality, yeah, you're going to want the client to fill out the organizers and provide all the detail and so forth. But if you've got the advisory mentality, particularly the tax advisory mentality, you're going to be doing what's in the best interest of the client. Mm -hmm. And you'll be asking for the appropriate supporting documentation. And the client will know it's in their best interest to provide you their supporting documentation. So you can take advantage of the various tax savings scenarios that might be out there. See, you're going to hear about it at the QB Connect conference, but you knew that new tax advisory option that into it's built in at $75 a client to mm-hmm. use that against the tax tools. Mm-hmm. And of course, you've got other vendors who have built new tax advisory platforms. Their favorite of mine, and that is Corvi at the high end, that has 1,500 tax strategies now. Well, do cross-entity, cross-jurisdictional consolidation and tax planning, and you can save the client tens of thousands of dollars. And oh, by the way, I need these, uh, you know, forms for your tax return, and that's part of my service. 
that's a whole different conversation than, you know, give me your W-9 and 1099 and give me your brokerage statements and let's get our tax return done. Well, okay. So then is, is then the only way to provide that additional value for these people? Like what if David's like, well, I don't, my situation's simple. We really can't do, like, I don't want the tax planning. I just want tax, tax prep. Is there any way to add value just around that service? Or is it just like, uh, if that's all you want, go to H&R Block. Like we're focused more on the tax strategy side in, you know, conjunction with the prep as opposed to prep alone. Like what would you say to the David Learys of the world? I don't know if he actually well, wants tax planning or not. So sorry, David, if you actually do. <laughs> <But> <laughs> well, let's put it this way. If you are adding no value, then you're really a retail tax shop. And that's what Intuit has tried to take out with Intuit Tax Online, for example. And that's what Liberty Tax and H-Star Block and all those have tried to take out online. The fact of the matter is, all, almost everybody who uses TurboTax, for example, is overpaying tax based on the calculations. Oh, what? Yeah. A professional will almost always find pieces of the law that they can apply. Now, the platforms are getting smarter, so I don't want to take anything away from them. Mm -hmm. But you know, I can just pick on my own family as examples because, you know, almost all work life children do the TurboTax preparation. But I say, take it to a tax professional. And they usually wind up not only paying the professional's fees, but netting paying less, okay? Now, mm -hmm. that's pretty straightforward yeah. in terms of their capabilities because the fact of the matter is, you know, if, if you're going to have to pay, and I don't come to these round numbers, but if you're going to pay 10000 in tax and you take your you know, material to a professional and you get charged $2,000 for that and you wind up paying 7000 mm -hmm. was that bad deal? No. Right. But, you know, if you didn't take that step and you paid $10,000, you might not be from you the wiser. Yeah. You would have just made the mistake. And unfortunately, in the U.S. market in particular, there's a lot of people making a mistake. Now, let's go back to your real question, though. If all you want to do is compliance work and don't, not, don't add any other value, you probably are going to be a commodity tax provider. And you're going to have competitive professions. Uh, pressures and you're going to have clients really talking to you and you know you're, you're going to have a different relationship than if you're taking the advisor role and saying look my job is to try to keep you in compliance or help you be as profitable as possible sending as little money in as is legal in tax compliance yeah right so this is interesting because I, I didn't know this really existed, but I've seen it now on social media is I see people who are not tax professionals in that they don't actually prepare tax returns. They don't seem to have any certifications like an EA or a CPA or anything, but they've built a whole business strictly on tax strategy and nothing yep. else. No prep along with it. No compliance services, strictly tax strategy. Have you run across companies doing that? Oh, absolutely. And in many cases, they're reputable. In fact, I would go further and say in most cases, they're reputable because they have tools and knowledge on tax laws where they can take advantage of that. And they're, oh gosh, I don't even know, Laura Lynn, half a dozen or more that I've run into. 
And, you know, in many cases, I've had them explain their methodology to me because if they can explain it to me, I could explain it to others. That mm-hmm. was part of the reason I had to come and do that. But their methods absolutely work. And, you know, there are so many people that are W-2, 1099 workers. That's all they really got. And But, you know, those, those people actually can save money too. But most people are looking for bigger returns, so they're going after the business owners or the higher net wealth individuals and so forth. But there's different need in my mind across all levels of income here in the U.S. Uh, there is actually a group out of Dallas that's built a beautiful platform that can be used on individual hourly workers with great success. Oh. I'm hopeful that their technology will continue to, to develop as they've shown it to me. So, Arthur, but the deal here is, you know, none of us want to pay more tax than we should. I'm happy to pay tax, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> because that means I actually probably made a dollar or two. Yeah. Right? And by the way, I probably use some services. Let's see, did I drive on a road yesterday? Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> uh, did I fly in an airplane yesterday? Well, I happened to, but not everybody gets that privilege, you know. Did I go through an airport? So I have services and things that I'm using. Uh, just like you have to get to Vegas, right? And, you know, bottom line is, you didn't really think about paying extra money to be able to get a, a ride from the airport to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Paying yeah. the fee, you didn't think about the roads and the ass and the everything else. So I'm always happy to pay taxes, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, do I want to pay more than my fair share? I don't think anybody wants to do that. Yeah. From, that's where we can actually help our clients understand here's here's what we can do that's legal and correct okay and uh, you know if you're taking that strategy i think most professionals can save their clients enough money that the relationship changes and it it's not a contentious oh i have to do this yeah compliance issue it's a proactive advisory issue yeah. No, I, and I mean, I completely agree with you. Like I, I post a lot on TikTok. That's like my, my lead channel. And mm-hmm. I hammer a lot on there. Like, you know, the number one problem I see with small businesses is, you know, their number one concern is, will I have enough money? And, but from the accounting side, I'm like, okay, you don't know how much money you have, or you wonder if you'll have enough money for X, Y, Z. But then I'm like, you don't even know you don't even have an accounting system. You don't even know this. So it's like, I can't even begin to help you answer those questions until we get some some order. And there's actually this statistic. It's like 60% of small businesses, they say the worst part of running a small business is accounting and tax. So it's just like, there's so much fruit for the picking for accountants in our no industry. Action, yeah. And I would say, and would I, you I, say more than ever? Like I would say more than ever. More than ever. In fact, I'm going to you know throw a few numbers at you and a few claims. Yeah. The number of 32 million businesses, small businesses in the U.S. is correct. And I think it grew during the pandemic because people left businesses and started their own. Mm-hmm. And here, the majority of them are non-automated. Most of them are paper or spreadsheet managed. They're not even in the system today. So by most, it's in excess of 90%. So that tells you there's 27 million plus businesses like that. Wow. In the last three days, I've been reflecting on what new small business accounting software could be used because professionals are either going to provide their service with class 
or the business owners are going to go somewhere else because with Intuit's continued price raises on QuickBooks Desktop and QuickBooks Online, mm-hmm. a lot of really small businesses are saying, uh, yeah, no, I'm just going to manage this all with, you know, bank uh, feeds and <laughs> credit cards. Yep. <laughs> bank balance you know, accounting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of back to the Mike uh, Profit First, you know, methodology yep. mm-hmm. in effect. And um, so, but the opportunity is here. And the issue is that you have to actually step outside the realm of accounting into what makes this business owner tick. Oh, they're doing lawn service and snow removal. Okay, what, what really makes them get more clients? How do they optimize their, you know, so you can do that. Or, you know, something simple, restaurants or hair salons or whatever. Mm-hmm. What makes that person tick? Because they're in business, not because they want to do accounting and tax, but because they want to provide a service and they love doing the service. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I have, I'll have to say I've never had a tax. But, you know, people go to tattoo parlors all the time. Yeah. And people are in there because they love them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they provide that service. So in many cases I've seen, they do great art and so forth. But they're in there because they love doing tattoo. Yeah. They love people. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, bottom line is we can't worry about, uh, we, we maybe understand like or dislike. These people are pursuing their passion, how do we help them pursue their passion? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I have one closing question because I'm really interested from your perspective. What piece of technology do you think that accountants over rely on? Oh, that's an insightful question. Um, email. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's an easy one because number one, probably you're sending and receiving too much of it. Mm-hmm. Number two, can't organize it. Mm-hmm. Number three, tough to follow up on it. Mm-hmm. Four, think if you send it, it's done. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can make all sorts of business cases as why email is probably the bane of existence. And by the way, there's this really high tech device called a telephone. <laughs> where you can like, talk to people. And, you know, there are times when it is so much faster to pick up the phone and think about fraud and how that can prevent, you know, a telephone can prevent fraud and so forth. And so I'm thinking the overuse piece might be email. Now, if you push me harder, it might be, but I don't think this is true for accountants, it might be smartphones. Mm. A lot of our clients are overusing and overdependent on smartphones. That's oh, me. Let, I'm them. I'm I'm overdependent on. Oh, I, I get that. And you know, here I'm going to go to my second one. This was one I was debating on with you, Laura Lynn. Yeah. What search? And I'll just <gasps> use Google search, but it's search because we search and we find and we think that's the answer. Well, is it the answer? Or is it not the answer? How do you know it's factual? And again. I'm, trying to say fake news or anything like that. But, you know, if you're trying to get tax code, if you're trying to get accounting advice, many of us have been trained on accounting and we understand a lot of the codes and all that. But see, a lot of the business owners or a lot of the accountants are doing Google search instead of going to Checkpoint or, you know, <laughs> the other tools. Yep. Because it's quicker, easier, 
And that might be, you know, so, so I'm kind of, I didn't answer your questions clearly now because I've got email, I got, <laughs> I got smartphones, I got Google search. It's all these convenient things, which love the technology, but remember all technology can be used for good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a crazy statistic to throw at you then in regards to the search. So I think it was in 2021, more people used TikTok as a search engine than Google. Uh-huh. That's where people are going to find. And here's the thing. I, I am people. I do that too. What to do in Vegas. Search. How to sew this, how to cook this, how to do this. And so that's why I'm utilizing TikTok for my, you know, for my business because I'm like, well, people are searching how, how to take a tax write-off. What is a tax write-off? How to take a travel deduction. And there's so much bad information out there on TikTok around that. I'm like, well, I'm going to use my platform for good and try and get as much, you know, good information out there as possible. But it's just... And I, and I get your TikTok search thing because yeah. that's right point is people are using these search engines and when they find something since it's published it must be right Mm -hmm. and you know i wish i could find a statistic that told told us how much was published was incorrect yes you know the percentage has to be awful bloody high (laughs) because you know i was looking yesterday for cost of living for a client Mm -hmm. and it looked like to me every cost of living reference probably came from an original source that Mm -hmm. was the same because the numbers were all the same and it's like numbers can't be the same yep independent research Mm -hmm. yeah i've actually found that with some uh tax stuff too where it's like especially in regards to stuff around influencer taxes and whatnot because that that those types of things have not gone through the courts yet so we don't have a lot of definitive guidelines on kind of this new age of, you know, influencer and their taxes and what's taxable, what's not, are these, you know, PR, what about when they do holes, what about, you know, so it's like, I found myself going, I'm like, okay, well, what are other people saying? And then that was, I ran into that same thing. Everyone was quoting this one article from, it was like a, some type of tax app. <laughs> that was the yeah, source of and- truth. <laughs> I get it. And and by the way, those are often incorrect. And yeah. see, that kind of falls into the same realm as the IRS and Operation Hidden Treasure. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they've now got $45.6 billion of enforcement for digital assets. Wow. Or even with the FTX and, you know, all the other mm-hmm. collapse, if mm-hmm. you will, on, on those issues, um, there's still much that we're going to have to deal with in cryptocurrency as tax professionals, but they're just because FTX and BarkFi went into bankruptcy, who cares? The bottom line is, do you, client, hold any cryptocurrency? And oh, by the way, did you know your cryptocurrency is discoverable? And do you know that the IRS has contracted with TaxBit to uncover all cryptocurrency hold? They now have the resources to go, they'll get there. And oh, by the way, those non-fungible tokens that you've been, uh, by, those are actually assets and those are taxable too. Yep. And, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, you get a, a nice little notice saying, uh, you owe a few bought dollars here because you've got this cryptocurrency holding and the non-fungible token holdings and you haven't paid back on them. Yeah, I've, I'll be honest, Randy, my response so far has been to bury my head in the sand where if someone comes to me and it's like, ah, I have crypto, I'm like, nope, I'm not your accountant. But I mean, it's it's to the point there's, you know, I, I can't do that anymore. I recognize that. But yeah, it's like, and, and 
you know, taking that a little further, Laura Lynn, I get it because that's what most, many, not most, many CPA professionals have done in that area. And I get it because the tools are terrible. Yes. I mean, you can get something like legible tax or Luca tax to get there. Mm-hmm. But one that's really frightening to me, frankly, when the 1099s are produced by the exchangers starting in 2024, mm-hmm. 2023, 20, those 1099s are actually going to be incorrect. I know. Because they do not have the cost basis right. Yes. Well, how many professionals do you think would take a 1099 and has the culture of saying, well, this is the Bible because this is the 1099? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. no, it's not because it's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd, I, think, I think there's going to be a lot of incorrect filings coming down the pipeline. And it does not help that the IRS is so understaffed and doesn't answer their phone. So even to get things like that resolved, it's it's just going to get worse and worse, in my opinion. Ingredients <laughs> going to get worse and worse. So again, you know, we, when you think about those types of issues, going back to the what got us here, mm-hmm. urge will give you all sorts of answers. Yep. What's authoritative, and how do you know what's authoritative? And uh, that's a very difficult thing. So. So I loved your insightful question. I might just use that with your permission in the future because, you know, you think about it, email, email, smartphone, Google, I can keep going. Yeah. But, you know, there's so many different technologies that are, we're over-dependent on, Mm over-using, probably are not in our best interest. And there's some fundamental things that we can use. But, you know, you just think about the ease of use, kind of, Back to the portal topic we talked about earlier, there's 22 of those body things out there that I'm aware of, you know? <laughs> and some of them are quite good. You know, for example, I like the Lysio portal as a, an ease-of-use mm-hmm. style portal. And there's some that are just really, well, terrible. Can we In say fact, their I, name? I, I, I've been referring to, yes, I'll actually use one or two of them, Ricky, here, but I've been referring to them as level one, two, and three, uh-huh. first gen and third gen. But, you know, you go back and do file share. Okay. Mm. Wearable portal still in use by professionals. <laughs> okay. Well, file share shouldn't be getting used. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, you know, a product that I did help create, Citrix Share File. Yeah. I recommended that a lot. It's gotten a lot of attention. It's getting way better, but it's still a second generation portal product. Mm. And I think we're going to get to third generation, and I believe with Web3, we'll get to fourth generation products that will move things back and forth more seamlessly. Nice. Because, you know, part of, we'll just say the David Leary complaint from earlier, mm-hmm. is that the information is not set up to securely flow back and forth because vendors have concentrated data in their holdings. So... Into it, Emilio and others have concentrated the data and they're leveraging the data as opposed to the individuals controlling their data. That's an important point, too, because if I can send you stuff as I want to reveal it and receive stuff and it flows two way, and I don't have to worry that there'd be a big data breach because the only person that has it is me and you, my professional, mm-hmm. uh, and your upstream preparer. You know, your upstream tax company, let's say it's for tax. Okay, that data is probably not very broadly spread. But that data should flow from 
origin all the way to, you know, tax, let's say, or up to IRS without intervention. Yeah. And right now, we've got way too many stumbling blocks in our systems. Yep. From the antiquated, and um, by the way, I'm on a bank board of directors, so yeah. bank corporate for board of directors. But here in the antiquated ACH and credit card systems that we're here, here in the U.S., they're, they're pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is we're solving for David Leary. No, I'm joking. David, we'll, we'll, try, we'll try and make it better. Randy's on it. <laughs> we'll try to make it better. But, you know, it's it's not an easy thing. My favorite saying in this little old, I don't like to report Pete old stuff. But my favorite thing that I learned in 2016, so six years ago, if you say it real fast, it sounds easy. I like that a lot. Randy, thank you so much for joining me today. If professionals want to connect with you, where is the best way for them to do that? Well, I am email since we talked about that earlier. But really the Kuntu website, Kuntu.com is probably the best way. That's got our newsletters and courses and all sorts of stuff. But you search for Randy Johnston. Usually you'll find the jazz guitarist and you'll find me. <laughs> well, that's a pretty, that's pretty easy then. I had no trouble finding you when I went to LinkedIn. So awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Randy, for enjoy, for joining me. I literally, I covered like three of the questions I have on my outline. I could have asked you questions for like five hours. So, but <laughs> I don't know if our listeners would have stuck around for that, but I really appreciate you coming on today and chatting with us. I am so pleased to spend the time with you and your listeners. And I look forward to that four or five hour conversation. We can, we can do that together sometime and you'll call me good. But in the meantime, you enjoy QB Connect. Oh, thank you. I will. And thank you for listening and see you guys all next time.